welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. My name is Grant McGalliard. I have alongside me my co-host, my friend, and man about the country, Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you? Grant, hello. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm doing well. We're out in uh, in Salt Lake. I can see out of my window just this huge mountain range. It's it's pretty great. I will say. In fact, maybe the in-town view of the mountain in Salt Lake is is the best in-town mountain view of, of anywhere I've been, which I think is a competitive resume. Like Denver, people talk about Denver. Denver's actually kind of far away from the mountains, not in reality, but like you can see them in the horizon. Here, the mountain is is right is right here. It's just right up in your business. And so that's kind of cool. Well, Denver, of course, they have to stay far enough away from the mountains for the conspiracy theory airport to exist. Yeah. I think it's well, kind of I, a part of it. My geography's bad. I think the Denver airport's actually on the front range. It's on the other side. But there's this whole corridor sure, about man. weather and stuff. I have a YouTube link. I'll, I'll send it to you later. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What a um, ridiculous – there are 32 days until college football grant, and we are talking <laughs> about ESPN and antitrust. What the hell? Yeah. Let, let, let's Let's get into the big news of the day. Are you ready? Jordy Sandy has been named to the Ray Guy Award watch list. Your thoughts? You know, that's kind of, you know, the the terrible, like, uh, Ashton Kutcher movie, Butterfly Effect? Never seen I, it. I do, yeah. Never seen it. Just kind of generally familiar with, like, the if you get a tattoo, you go back in time and get a tattoo that changes the entire world, whatever. I think Jordy Sandy getting on the, the Ray Guy punter list is our kind of butterfly effect for for conference realignment. Jordy Sandy coming, to us, coming from Australia, coming to TCU. Uh, set us on this path. He's going to be an excellent punter and the Big 12 is going to die. Not as a result of anything Jordy Sandy did, just he put us on this timeline by gracing us with his presence at TCU. It's the chain reaction. It's as soon as those voters you know, put his name on the ballot, all of a sudden Texas and OU were in talks with the SEC. Um, yeah, okay, let's give a quick update. And Parker, so we're recording this Wednesday night, 7.51 p.m. Central Time. Parker, tell me if I miss anything here, but... Okay, OU this is going to be like yeah. lettuce. It's going to be bad tomorrow, but that's all right. Yes, and also on that front, uh, stay tuned, folks. We'll do. We'll have some more tomorrow. Yeah, subscribe. Yeah. But as of now, uh, OU and Texas are headed to the SEC. Um, by all indications, it's going to be a fourteen to nothing vote from the SEC to admit Texas and Oklahoma to the conference. Um, Texas A and M actually came out probably about forty-five minutes, maybe an hour before we started recording, and said that they would vote yes. You have to appreciate that Texas A&M has a minimum level of competence in that they can avoid that huge self-own of, of being the one 13 to one vote. Like knowing <laughs> this is going to happen, guys, it's going to look bad. We should we should support it. I, I know uh, I, I tweeted this, but uh, have you ever heard the John D. Hale band song, Desperate People? Uh, I don't think so. It's really good. Um, but I'm imagining like them explaining the Texags denizens, like what they did. And it's like, you know, uh, please tell my sweet dear mother I never meant to cause her shame. Tell daddy I didn't mean to disgrace the family name. But it's just that desperate people do desperate things. And yeah. that is them checking the yes box. Meanwhile, yeah. the lawyers are involved. The Big 12 is issuing a cease and desist letter to ESPN alleging that ESPN has persuaded other conferences to try to poach members away from the Big 12 causing the conference to collapse and saving Texas and OU money uh, in terms of, you know, what they would have to pay to, to basically cancel their contract and leave the conference. Um, I, can I say this? I'm normally not a media skeptic. I, I was a journalist at one point. I kind of buy it. 
I don't know. I could see it happening. I don't think there's anything to buy. So Oklahoma and Texas are the, the big thing for ESPN here is they control the SEC rights entirely. They got that game off CBS and they're 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 it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Saturday game, I think. And so now they're splitting Oklahoma and Texas with Fox and they don't want to do that. And so they have every incentive. You know, again, we talk about people respond to incentives. ESPN has every incentive to try and tank the Big 12 through whatever kind of, you know, uh, guerrilla warfare um, behind the scenes campaign. They also um, control the playoff and they control who gets in the playoff. They also control which games get scheduled when, which games get talked about on on the air that, that people watch and kind of form these narratives. And so we we, we do have a, a very close to vertical conglomerate in um, in college football right now. And and they are they are trying to flex their muscles a little bit and, and, and have flexed their muscles because the the cat's out of the bag. You know, you can't you can't put a Humpty Dumpty back together. The the Big Twelve, as we know it, is done. Um, and, and and so I think this is going to get investigated as antitrust. I think they're going to have a good case. I don't know what you do about it. I don't know what anyone's going to do about it. I have no confidence in the federal government to do anything beneficial in college football. And uh, and so it's it's going to be long and it's going to be messy. And if to bring it home a little bit, if if TCU waits around for the resolution. It could it could get kind of bad. Yeah, I mean, you you've talked a lot on this podcast about first mover advantage, right? In terms of hey, like we have to be the first into the breach. We have to change and adapt before anyone else does, or else the sort of advantage that is gained by adapting is lost. Uh, I, I'm curious to know because the lawsuit alleges that ESPN was persuading conferences to take certain schools, and by that I don't mean the SEC and uh, OU in Texas. I mean that. The AAC is kind of the one that everyone thinks, and they no commented uh, when asked if it was them that was collaborating with the Big 12. I wonder who they, who ESPN was trying to get the AAU to poach if TCU was involved in those talks. I, I, I don't know. My gut feeling is that they weren't, but I, I think they were trying to poach more of like West Virginia, for example, which we'll get to a little later. But uh, I agree that you know Jeremiah Donati has to see the writing on the wall and say, listen, we, we need to get out and – you know, jump off the sinking ship before we go down with it. Yeah, and 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 I think he does absolutely. Um, I, I I think that I have two two kind of big thoughts here. One, ESPN also has a very big incentive to get someone to leave because as soon as someone else in the Big Twelve announces that they're going to go somewhere else, then you've got it. Well, okay, we're not enforcing the grant of rights. Yeah, we don't owe you. We don't owe you one hundred sixty million dollars. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. So. This is kind of like a, hey, hold, hold situation. I don't know if everyone's going to do it. I've seen more than one person throw around prisoner's dilemma, talking about the big 12 teams that are left. And I hate to be the well, actually guy. Um, actually, I love being the well, actually guy. It's Yeah, that, that that's what you live what for. Do. Um, but the, you know, prisoner's dilemma is, hey, you're in that room. I'm in this room. And the cops are talking to both of us. And we don't, we can't observe. We have nothing. It's, it's, uh, it's not a sequen- sequential game. It's a, it's a one shot game. This is sequential because the person who defects first could potentially get a really, really big payoff. There exists a world where someone could get out and get a big, big buyout to go somewhere else um, and not kind of worry about the other seven people. And so there is kind of this, Hey, we're the Big 12 conference, but also if, you know, the Big 10 calls Iowa State, 
they should go immediately. Um, and that screws everyone else. And so the incentive structure here is just perverse. And it's going to be ugly. And I don't, I mean, Bowlesby is talking about lawsuits and all that. They might get the feds involved and talk about antitrust. I think, I want to say there's a battle for college football's soul right now, but there's a battle for college football's wallet right now. The battle for college football's soul was lost when we decided that uh, competing national championship claims were an intolerable injustice and we needed to homogenize and and integrate all of college football into one kind of big bowl thing. I use the word integrate there. I, I'm not talking about the 60s. Don't nobody right, nobody right. take that no, out of no, context. No, we know, we know. Um, but yeah, so so I, I I mean I think college football is Monday night championship under the lights in in a uh, in an NFL stadium now, and so I think all we're doing is shouting about who's who's going to get enough money to stay afloat and potentially compete there. Um, but but yeah, I, I don't I don't think anything's going to change about college football that hasn't already changed. Yeah, I agree. Um... I don't want to sound bitter. I don't want to sound sour because while I don't necessarily like the direction college football is heading, and I will make a special point of noting that I don't include uh, name image likeness in that. I think that's a positive step for college football. For One sure. of the few positive steps that the sport's taken. Um, I still do love the sport. Just speaking purely emotionally here. And the fact that uh, we may be heading to super conferences. Um, the, the fact that you know, sort of the, not that I'm nostalgic for the Big 12. I grew up an ACC fan at TCU wasn't in the conference until the year I graduated high school. But there is some sort of, hey, these teams have always been in this conference. It's fun to watch them in this conference. It's, it's And TCU thrived for a long, well, for a relatively long time in conference. And now they're going to be nomads again. I, my, my, my gut feeling, my whole read on the situation is that it sucks. And that's kind of my whole analysis. I mean, if I had anything more to say, I'd write about it. But it really just kind of sucks. The other thing I will say, and and you mentioned this, is that this is going to turn into a battle for college football's wallet. The SEC is a lot of money. Individual institutions have a lot of money. No one has more money than Mickey Mouse. And ESPN is owned by Disney. Uh, they're going to pay them. Parker, do you watch the show Trailer Park Boys? Uh, I am unfamiliar. Okay. They're, they're going to pay them $100 to F off. Right, proportionally. It, it, it's, you know, hey, well, what is the amount of money we can pay you to make this lawsuit go away? I don't, th- I'm not a lawyer. I don't think the antitrust is necessarily going to stick, but I do think there are certain collusions, certain, you know, breaches of contract that, that the Big 12 has a leg or two to stand on. And I wouldn't be surprised if ESPN and Disney just say, all right, look, we'll cut you a check. We'll give Bob Bowlesby a third home on the Cayman Islands and. We're just going to make this go away. Yeah, it kind of stinks to have the power brokers with a wanton disregard in an asymmetric. So like if everything, I think we've talked about this with realignment, like if everything tomorrow just turned off and there were no ties and there was, you know, completely landscape of college football, what would happen is, you know, about about 32 teams would kind of be in the main league and everyone else would be Mm -hmm. floating around. And, And TCU is obviously on the other side of that. Absolutely okay with that. Understand the frictions there that are that are stopping it. What really irks me about the situation and about how college football is designed currently and is and is moving towards, um, or has has already moved towards with this homogenized you know mass of inanity that is deciding we need a a singular college football champion. The the, the problem is that Texas and Oklahoma can do whatever the f they want, 
and TCU could drop down to FCS as a result. That's not going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but right. the, the, the asymmetry here, it's it's not that I'm mad that Texas is flexing their muscles. That's fine. I'm mad that Texas designed this entire system and got on board with it and then sucked. And so what they said is, you know what? We're just going to go chase dollars. Um, and, well, Parker, and TCU's kind of locked heard. into being this. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's awful. No, I'm just going to ask. I don't know if you've heard, Texas is actually subsidizing the rest of the Big 12. Um. Yeah, I don't know if there's a world where whatever that guy's name is, Eberts. We, we don't um, have to say it out loud. It's fun. Yeah, if that guy, he, I, I noticed he follows me. Um, if he listens to this podcast, let's freaking talk. Um, because I, I, I don't think you know what subsidized means. I don't think you know what the <laughs> where the funding for Texas comes from. I think that if, uh, you know, maybe you have a close friend you can talk to about how you feel the need to be so arrogant and brazen against other people who have beaten you on the football field. Like, I don't know, whatever you need in your life, I'm happy to help you with that. Um, what a, just an absolutely terrible article. It got so many clicks uh, yes. just because, like, even the Texas people weren't excited about that. So, no. yeah. I listen, I read it. Uh, but I think you're right. And, and I don't want to assign myself the closing statement here. But I, I think what I'm mad about, and this is very much a feeling, emotional thing, as opposed to statistics, I guess I really don't begrudge Texas, and I get why Texas is leaving. I guess what makes me, uh, you know, mad, even though I understand the systems at play, is that TCU will never ever be in a position to where they can flex their muscles the same way, regardless yeah. of what happens on the football field, the size of the institution, the the size of the alumni base, the perception of the university on a national scale, whatever, will prevent us from being able to kind of pull the the big swinging D move that Texas and Oklahoma just pulled. And that is a power imbalance that will never be fixed. And it's inherent in the system. We understand that going in. We know it. That doesn't mean it hurts any less when it comes back to bite us. Absolutely. And and Texas, no, you're not the villains. Um, ESPN is the villains. I mean, they're villains for other reasons. ESPN is the villains. ESPN is the villain who said, oh, hey, Coastal Carolina, that was fun. Cincinnati, that was fun. You know what? Let's expand the playoff, and now we're going to put six SEC schools in there every year and just keep breaking in the money. So get me off this freaking soapbox because I will sit here and talk about this forever. I'm actually really mad at ESPN. Okay, that's interesting. Well, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in text. Um, Parker, do you want to talk about football? Yeah, let's talk about football. What are we doing tonight? We're gonna um, we're gonna preview a little West Virginia Mountaineers uh, tonight, um, and and I think they're really interesting. I. I I keep trying to not go to country music songs, but I just think they're so funny. Um, so West Virginia is a really interesting program to, to me because they are not a good cultural fit in the Big 12 at all. They were kind yep. of were in the same boat as TCU as they were without a home. They were clearly a program that deserved to be at the table. But their seat at the table was it was, it was like, ah, we just need to get it. I don't really care what it is. So um, I say that not to demean them or anything. Like, they've been very competitive with TCU. Like, they are a very respectable program. Wild Bill, Willie Greer, um, they had a great a great team or two there um, with, with Holgerson. But that to say that West Virginia feels like they are lost in the Big 12 because what's the, what's the point? Um, uh, it, that's also evidenced by the fact that they are scheduling non-con games with Pitt with Virginia Tech, with Penn State. Um, and I think that they would really like to be in a situation where they could play some of their local rivals and not end up with 11 Power 5 games they are going to punch you in the face on the on the reg. Um, and so their future schedule 
is is something really interesting. Uh, Dana Holgerson, you know, won 10 games his first year, beat Clemson, um, in that, in that orange bowl, if I'm correct, I am correct on that. And then went to, went to a bowl every year, but one, there was some turnover his third year and, and, you know, they, they kind of peaked again in 2016 with a, with a 10 and three record. Um, and, and it did just feel kind of like, what's, what's the point? Um, the country music song that I thought about is so cheesy. Uh, the, the Kenny Chesney, uh, you and tequila. And uh-huh. he says at the very end of that, the, these random lines just kind of haunt me sometimes, which is these these very funny, like, I don't have any emotional feelings to this song, but this line is very good. But they say, one more is one too many, or uh, one is one too many, but one more is never enough. And West Virginia with Holgerson seasons kind of felt like that. It's like, hey, we'd love another eight, eight, to, eight to maybe 10 win season. But if we have another eight to 10 win season, we're going to be frustrated that we're not getting there. And so that divorce was, I, I think, a little messier than people thought. And the roster was really bad. Neil Brown has kind of, you know, started to lay some groundwork on the defensive side to build up West Virginia as a team who could be, you know, a, a program that you would respect, but they still a little bit are in the no man's land coming into 2021. Um, Neil Brown was five and seven. They beat TCU to keep them out of a bowl in 2019, uh, in 2020. The worst game I've ever seen. It was so frustrating. Um, I think Grant, that was like the third time you and I had met a person. We had a, I had a beer before the game and, uh, it was supposed to rain too. Mm -hmm. So we were all decked out in our rain gear and then it didn't. And it got to be like 70 degrees. And so it was just like muggy and gross. It was just it was not a fun game in any way, shape, or form, and it was just a very poorly played game. Um, I think I would still take 2020 Kansas State uh, over that one as terms of like sheer frustration, but it was it was close. It was up in terms of frustration, Kansas State. In terms of like no, like maybe we don't deserve to go to a bowl. Like, yeah, it, it was West that West Virginia game. Yeah, I was just I was just not having a good time. So um, there's their offense is so bad it's not good um it's hilariously bad so epa margin just because their offense was so bad um they're they're in the hundreds they're 117th they were not the 117th worst team in the in the nation last year as evidenced by the fact that they beat and were competitive with a lot of very decent teams um but that offense was anemic their defense was 31st overall, and they, they suffered a little bit with some pace issues. You know, the offense, you go three and out enough, you get some opportunities, they're going to break big plays, and people are going to score on you. Um, but, but man, that offense was just so bad. They went six and four. My expected statistics actually had them closer to three and seven, Grant. Just saying, uh, yeah, so they have a one-score win over Baylor that I have their post-game win probability at like 35%. Uh, a Kansas game that was a lot closer to 50% than it should have been. Um, a Texas Tech game that they were way closer in than they, uh, or that, 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 that looked closer than it was and they, they lost. Um, and then a, a Texas game kind of similarly. The, the really fun one is Iowa State, 42 to 6. I think West Virginia had the ball across the 50 like five or six times in that Iowa State game and they lost 42 to 6. They just couldn't do anything with any of those opportunities so um they you know that that that's kind of the big story is 2020 hey year three of neil brown they've had a little bit of turnover on the staff um with you know some stuff about a defensive coordinator i won't you know get into and then uh, also losing a cornerbacks coach and their star cornerback to georgia but ultimately west virginia is kind of in this place where hey 
we shouldn't be in the gutter anymore. It should be Texas Tech, Baylor, uh, Kansas, and then us as a step above that. Are they there yet? That's what we're going to kind of look at tonight is what what would it take for West Virginia to be decisively in the second tier as opposed to the third tier of the Big 12? What are their limitations? What are their opportunities? And so I'm excited to look at them because I've kind of been obsessing about them uh, <laughs> in the last Just couple of weeks. Uh, and and so I'm happy to talk about that on on, on air uh, <laughs> get get that out of my system. But yeah, let's um let's talk about West Virginia, Grant. Let's. So Neil Brown was the darling of every hipster college football fan when he was at Troy, right? And those Troy teams were freaking good when he was under them. He he ran a tight ship. He ran a good unit. And when we saw him at media days, reading all of his quotes, whatever, he seems like, he seems like a good dude. Uh. I would say that while his first two years haven't been a, a disaster, I don't necessarily know that we've seen proof of concept, especially on the offensive end, because they have been so noticeably bad. The defense has been good, but the offense has not been. You can blame some of that on quarterbacks, which is kind of where I want to go first. And I know that's cliche. How dare you? Parker, I don't know a lot about numbers, but I've read your numbers, and I've read the numbers on analytics websites and just caveman numbers. Why do you like Jared Dagey? Okay, I wanted to believe in Jared Dagey last year so bad. I I, I thought he was there. Ah, oh, man. Um, wait, okay, can I say just uh, about, um, what was this, Neil Brown? Yeah. And this and, is and terrible. Did podcasting. he have proof of concept, internet darling? Oh, the, Neil Brown being like the the fancy, like the famous, like, oh, we like these guys. You know, I like Neil, I like Neil Brown. I like like G5 coaches. It, it kind of was like the podcast ain't played nobody niche had gotten so popular that everyone thought they were hipster yeah. it's like in you, i don't know i don't know if the timing was right for this but like 2009 2010 on the internet everybody was like lol i like fat guy touchdowns because spencer hall tweeted it once and it was like everyone had fat guy touchdown in their bio or something stupid yeah can I give you, it, can neil I give brown you a felt like that a little bit can i give you a music example yeah so when i was in eighth grade i went to a uh journalism conference for inter- for high school kids um because I clearly had nothing better to do. And there was this, there was like two girls in our group. So obviously the 10 guys there were trying to hit on the two girls. And uh, one guy was trying to be real cool. He's like, hey, you know, you ever listen to Modest Mouse? Like trying to impress her. It's like, dude, at, by this point, everyone listens to Modest Mouse. You're not being a hipster. It doesn't mean it's like bad to like them or anything. No. It's just like it's not it's not cool or random. It, like right. Neil Brown is super good. Cornelius Williams is still at Troy, the wide receivers coach. I, he was on my list for offensive yeah. guys to bring in. Like they have they have some really interesting guys, but it's also like you didn't you didn't discover that. To no. you know, to paraphrase to paraphrase former president, you didn't you didn't build that. You didn't build <laughs> Neil Brown. Um I just want to let everyone know that wasn't an impression. It almost sounded like I was slipping into an impression. I was not. This podcast um, is going to skyrocket in the demographic of my dad after that joke. So that's great. Me, Grant, let's talk about West Virginia. Also me. Uh, here's my Obama impersonation. <laughs> okay. I wanted to believe in Jared Dagey. Um, Eastern Kentucky, 56 to 10. They, they were just humming, right? Eastern Kentucky's bad. It was an FCS school. Uh, they, they struggled a little bit against Oklahoma State the next game. He still, you know, he only completed 54% of his passes. He had a, a long one for 70. And, and outside of that, it was still looking like a little bit of volume. He was, uh, you know, a little bit worse in the Baylor game. And I thought, oh no, what's going to happen? And then he popped out in the Kansas game, man, and threw three touchdowns, completed 60% of his passes, 
Texas Tech, 64% of his passes. Kansas State had an excellent game, an unequivocally excellent game. Um, and then it kind of fell apart. You know, Texas and, and Iowa State just struggled. He did all right against TCU, um, completing 73% of his passes against TCU. But he, he stumbled down the down the stretch. I'll say that. So so what you're saying is that the, the two teams where he had really good games were Kansas and Texas Tech. No, and Kansas also State, Eastern Kentucky. Kansas State, his best two games by QBR were, which includes rushing, which isn't fair because he doesn't really rush well, but um, were Kansas State 82.4 and TCU 90, 93.5. But completion percentage, uh, you know, he completed 71% of his passes against Baylor. He, he threw 42 times and completed 71 of his passes. Mm-hmm. Against Kansas State, he threw 34 times and completed 64.7. So he didn't have a good year. I'm not trying to like gaslight and, and say, oh, actually, actually, Jared Diggie was can good last year. Can you get to the EPA year. per play numbers? His EPA per plays was so bad. Um, you're supposed to say how bad, how bad how is bad it? How bad is it, Parker? Uh, he was in the bottom 10 of, uh, not just in the bottom 10, not just in the bottom five. He was the worst EPA per pass on targeted passes in 2020. That means taking out sacks, taking out scrambles, which Diggie never scrambles, part of his problem and he won't throw it away when he threw a pass at a player on average it was negative 0.132 epa per play that is that is saying a tenth of a point diggy throwing a pass is like we're just throwing a tenth of a point like a 20 dollar bill out the window we're just tossing a tenth of a point out of here um it was not good that was worse than Jaden daniels of kansas that was worse than zach gibson of uh akron like it was it was very very bad but I have a Jared okay. Dagey fun fact, right? Okay. Don't let me talk about Jared Dagey for much longer. I'm sorry. No, no. Um, I, I want you to talk about Jared Dagey because you've been tweeting about him, and you're maybe the only person on earth besides Mr. and Mrs. Dagey that believe Jared Dagey is a good quarterback. I think Seth probably believes in his little brother, He probably too. does. Um, Jared Dagey was pressured on 31% of his dropbacks. 31%. That is one in three. He is facing pressure. Okay, I have to. I I thought I had the tweet. I didn't have the tweet. <sighs> I honestly, Seth might not even think he's a good quarterback. I honestly, Seth probably just like smiles during Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Hey man, do you want to go toss around the pigskin and just hope you can hit the tire, much less make it through the hole?" <laughs> okay, when he was pressured, Daggy was fifty-seven point eight percent completion percentage. That would have been the worst overall, uh, not not completion percentage, excuse me, on target percentage, accuracy. The ball got there, right? That would have been the worst overall on target percentage in the FBS. In a clean pocket, 79.8% of his passes were on target. That's ninth best in the FBS, okay? Um, That is a dramatic difference. Not many people, like Max Duggan, I think was like, 59 and 67 or something like that is a huge difference. And so that's a fault in his game, right? He, he can't mitigate pressure very well, but he got hit so many times, 24 times. I think he got hit while he threw. Um, and as a result, he was only 35% on target deep, but almost half of his deep pressure balls, he got, or uh, deep target balls, he got pressured on. So when Jared Dakey in 2020 dropped back to throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field, he got hit one out of two times. 
That's absolutely insane. That is so much context dictating Daigie's uh, failure last year that I, if, if they can improve the offensive line, Daigie will not be an absolute mess. I think Daigie has, has potential. He has potential to be an average quarterback. Yes. I think I would say a decent, better, better than decent quarterback, which is with that defense, that's all you need. Yeah, I will say uh, the irony here is that while he only ran the ball 12 times, he was the only player on the Mountaineers with a positive EPA per rush, which is very funny. Um, yeah, well, yeah. if you look at so um, can I, can I, no, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much. Um, oh, Parker, you know more about West Virginia than I do. That's fine. <laughs> I, I wish I didn't. Yeah, so if you look at that, Grant, I'm, I'm going to de- <laughs> debut these this weekend. Uh, I did like a third down usage, like what percent of your rushes came on third down? And Daigie was, his his rushes were all scrambles on third down. So that's like Max Duggan in 2019, right? Third downs are more important because if you get a success, you get a fresh start of downs. And if you get a failure, you turn the ball over. And so, you know, he, he has a higher EPA per rush because he has a, you know, 50% success rate. And a lot of that is scrambling on, on third downs and kind of extending yeah. when he does rush. But he doesn't scramble. Uh, he scrambled 1.34% of the time, which I can just go ahead and tell you without looking it up. That's like dead last. Like Diggy yeah. is flat freaking footed in the pocket. And that's a problem. It's a problem. And it's one that, so when we talk about Duggan, we talk about how the offensive line costs him opportunities. And we talk about how the offensive line costs TCU a lot of opportunities, not even in the passing game, but the rushing game as well. The difference between Duggan and Daigie and between good quarterbacks and Daigie is that they have the ability to at least make some sort of play with their feet. In the modern game, you have to be able to do that. Peyton Manning is not walking through that door and standing flat-footed in a pocket for 10 seconds before firing a bullet. Dallas Clark. You're going to need someone that can at least move around the pocket, and Daigie pretty much shows no ability to do that. Especially with the multiplicity in the Big 12 and the extra yes. um, you know, defense and, and the extra and, defender and the out there. Of, and the amount of great pass rushers in the Big 12. Yeah. I mean, Nick Nick Benito is not going to lay down and let you walk away. No. Like, that's not happening. Um, so that is a big limitation. And perhaps, especially in Neil Brown's offense, the, um, you know, the differences are, are, are there. I, I don't want to say I believe in Jared Daigie. Um, like, he's not winning the Heisman. He's not going to be a top 15 quarterback. I don't think he has the ceiling of Duggan or Purdy or Thompson or Chuck or... Um, Certainly not Sanders. Yeah, or not Rapper. Sanders. No, yeah. no. he's so, Sanders is so much better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's, his ceiling is like a solid sixth in the Big 12. Maybe flirting with fifth if Texas's freshmen like screw around and, and can't, you know, if they have quarterback issues. Um, so I don't think he's going to be excellent, but I think he could have the potential to be good enough to get them in the Big 12 middle class just because so much of his last year was dictated by an awful offensive line. Like TCU fans are so spoiled because West Virginia's offensive line was so much worse than TCOs. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple tweets here. Uh, th- these are from at stats of war in the last week. Uh, let's see here. Uh, good morning. I'm ignoring relegation and talking myself into Jarrett Daigie's breakout 2021. Decisively sixth in the big 12 would be a Jarrett Daigie breakout. Somebody please talk me out of Jarrett Daigie. Look at that pass. I'm shutting up. Watch that pass right now. I'm watching it right now. It's so good. I mean, yeah, the safety just completely abandoned the wide out there, but sure. Daigie had the fifth most passes dropped in FES and the tenth most pressures fa- uh, pressures faced. We don't know what Daigie is from his twenty twenty. Just a lot of a lot of 
praise for the man. I don't know. I don't know that I. I think I equivocated. I think you, I don't hold say. On, hold on. I don't you, think I said anything explicitly like Diggy is going to be amazing. I. I think I just said I don't think Diggy's as bad as people think he is. Last year I said a, way more embarrassing stuff. Go back and look. Oh, I did. Early you, had on. Ranked, you had him ranked sixth in the Big Twelve in week nine of last year. I. I wanted to believe he had a bounce. Right. That's because I had him third, and then he dropped down to like nine. Right. <laughs> I have a problem. Um, you okay, know, really, what, what it was is Dustin Dustin Crumb followed and unfollowed me on Twitter, and so I was like, "All right, I gotta I gotta start talking about somebody else." <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> Just you don't want to get have a restraining order placed against you. Um, okay, you know what? Do you want to go out of order and talk wide house before we get to running backs? Yeah, I think I think that's totally fine because I think running is bad. Like the run game is the strength, and that's kind of bad. Yeah, it's Lenny Brown and and yeah. Um, yeah. man, talk about a three-headed monster. Yeah, no kidding. Coming back. No kidding. Um, I, I mean, so they pretty much returned their top wide receivers. I mean, Winston Wright coming back, uh, you know, he led the team in targets and receptions. Uh, you know, you look at, uh, Bryce Ford, Wheaton coming back, 56 targets, 27 receptions. Uh, Sam James, 52 targets, 31 receptions, and he didn't play a full season. They pretty much returned their top three wide outs from last year. Uh, now, you were just blaming those wideouts for drops, so we don't know if that's necessarily good or not. And also, I should point out, Letty Brown is good in the passing game, even though I believe most of those are checkdowns. I don't have his average. Oh, I do. Yeah, his average depth of target was .1 yards. So, <laughs> a lot of checkdowns How many Letty. completions? He caught 86% of his reception. 31 so, like, 31 of Diggy's receptions were out of the line of scrimmage. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's incredible. It really is. Uh, and uh, and also, T.J. Simmons um, should factor into that offense. Uh, Sean Ryan coming back will factor in as a wide receiver. Uh, a, a lot of good guys coming back. A lot of experience at wideout for West Virginia. Yeah, and, and I think we talked last year, Grant, in the preview, how like Wright and Wheaton and James kind of played this nice three-man game where uh-huh. so Wright's uh you know Wright's average depth of target was nine point five yards. Yeah. Wheaton's was thirteen point five, Sam James was eight point seven. And then you look at their yards per reception, uh, you know, Wright is that middle guy, eleven point eight. Wheaton is 15, which means he's catching the ball downfield and just kind of possession. And then Sam James is 9.7. So he's, you know, finding the ball intermediate to kind of, kind of two lower, like um, not lower because we're not talking about the field vertically, but me- intermediate range kind mm-hmm. of possession guys. And then, and then a long shot, you, they're multiple. You have to cover all of them. Um, and a guy like TJ Simmons, who can be, um, you know, 17.4 yards, yards per reception on an A dot of, you know, over 10. Yeah. 10.7. So I, I, there are four legitimate, living, breathing wide receivers for Daigie to throw to. There are in twenty twenty one. I uh, I kind of made the mistake before the podcast of wondering why we weren't going to talk more about TJ Simmons, just based on his. Uh, Did he transfer? No, I know why we're not talking about him. On thirty six targets, he had eight drops. Oh yeah, yeah, that's why. Oh yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew there was a culprit. I thought it was Wheaton, but I couldn't no, remember well, who has Wheaton, the most. Wheaton had five drops, mm. but yeah, Simmons had eight drops on 36 Dude, go targets. sort this by targets. My gosh. So sort this by targets and your top five. T- so, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm laughing. I should be narrating because it's a podcast and you guys can't see my screen right now. But if you if you sort by their top five targets, you have uh, in descending order four drops, five drops, four drops, one drop. Sean Ryan, shout out two drops by Letty Brown, eight drops by TJ Simmons and then Michael Laughlin, four drops. Uh, that's not great. That no. is that is. OK, Grant, philosophical question that I'm putting you on the spot is is that fixable? No, I mean, it's not fixable. Now, you can hope that they improve, but I don't think there's anything you can do short of putting them in front of a jug machine and saying, hey, catch balls for two hours to fix it. Um, if you got to, I mean, you got rock hands, you got rock hands, but, you know, Joe, uh, Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, they threw 10,000 passes in the offseason and came back and won a national championship. West Virginia's not winning a national championship. I'm just saying, I think that's, I think, go with me for a minute. Daigie getting pressured a bunch is is throwing the heater on the on the passes. Um, and so even if a ball is labeled catchable, maybe it's not ideal. So if that improves a little bit and hey, there's some bad luck, you know, we didn't get a full offseason, we didn't get to work, that's gonna improve. I think you kind of see two factors of improvement for wide receivers. Again, I that's so many drops. Mm-hmm. 31 drops on 38 targets, man. That's over 10% of targets that were dropped, and that doesn't even account for like the targets that were thrown poorly. So it's even higher than 10% drops. That is unsustainable. Um, and very obviously, look at how many one-score games they lost last year. Like, the offense just couldn't score when they needed to. Yeah. Can I throw out another stat that I just found really funny? Yeah. Letty Brown had 31 catches. We talked about his average depth of target being 0.1 yards. His longest catch was 15 yards. Dang. Like, that's not, their um, checkdowns went nowhere. Yeah. Well, and that's not like uh, that's that's not like Deuce Vaughn, the king of a dot minus. Yeah, whatever. Like I, I got to come up with a name for that, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah it's that not, that is just bad. It's not good. Like his average yards after catch was six point four yards, which is like worse than T.J. Simmons, who his average as a target was ten point seven yards. So when he did catch the ball, he was at least doing something and running with it. Uh, yeah. Can I can I just say I was so worried when you said something about T.J. Simmons that he had like had a crime or allegation or something that no, I didn't know about. I And I just hate that that is our like ecosystem where I had to be like, oh God, did I just, should we have talked about this before? But it's fine. Yeah. No, it's TJ worse. Simmons, you you're a nice guy. Catch. Yeah, he's, he's honestly, <laughs> well, in the modern, in the modern college football landscape, one of those yeah. things will get you booted yeah. off campus and one of them will not. Um, yeah. Uh, so again, a wide receiving core that is multiple if there, if there are no standouts. So Winston Wright, I think was the most involved yeah. Uh, returning player. I think I tweeted about that. We're just saying he got the most touches and the most targets um, kind of proportionally to his team of anyone that's returning in the big 12. He's going to be the workhorse. And if their offense is going, going right, Winston, right. will kind of get those down, down, uh, downfield passes. I don't know that any of these guys are dudes. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I don't think they are. I, I think there, there are several guys, but I don't know if they have any dudes. And Listen, we, we've we've seen this with Duggan. Sometimes if you have a quarterback that is working through things and you, you hope for him to develop, you need a dude that will help him along the way at wide out and kind of cover some of his misses. I don't know if West Virginia has that player. Matter of fact, I'm almost sure they don't. Yeah, I was I was going to look at their um their transfers just because they have so many of guys who are leaving. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of turnover, but I think they're kind of managing it. And yeah, you lost Austin Kendall, but of course... He's worse than Daigie uh, on day-to-day mm-hmm. <laughs> average. Um, someone will point out, someone will tweet at me and they'll say, well, the you know, Kendall got uh, Kendall got benched in the bowl game. And 
or not Kendall, um, Kendall played in the bowl game and they, they benched Daigie against mm-hmm. Army. And I'm going to say, yeah, at the end of a coronavirus season where Daigie had gotten hit as many times as he had and they're playing a triple option team, I'm not really going to, um, I'm not worrying about no, that. That's, 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 but nothing. They, they don't lose anyone wide receivers depth there. I mean, they have four guys that are all staying. So none of those transfers, um, are going to affect kind of their offensive or their, their, um, wide receivers. And then of course at running back, they have the best, a best, I think a best running back in the big 12. Every, everyone's the best running back in the big 12 now, Grant. Yeah. Um, but there, I there think, are apparently no bad running backs in the big 12, unless you play for like Kansas. Uh, yeah. Letty Brown's really good, man. I was He's, trying to, well, we just talked about Velton Gardner the other day being pretty okay. You know what? I, 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 I'm actually Velton, Velton Gardner, Gardner is the worst running back in the big 12. That's a high ball. Like, He's still very good, but um, yeah. So, so Letty Brown, I think, kind of very, very quietly was a a really good running back, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of an understatement to say. Generally, a lot of his usage was, um, you know, early downs, and so his average stats look a little worse than you would think. He's you know negative point two EPA, but remember, that's kind of on a scale. That's not that's not awful, um, and. and, and I think the biggest thing to look at with Letty Brown is not his it's it's not what he could have done so much as what he did if that makes sense. It does. Um weirdly. Yeah. They they have like a very big difference of so like yards before contact. I think he led the Big 12 um yards after contact, sorry, 2.94. I think he was behind Bijan. I'm wrong on there. I'm wrong there. Bijan Robinson was first. Um but if you look at his yards per attempt it's it's 5. And his yards after contact is almost three. And so he just wasn't getting very many opportunities. He did have 30 runs of 10 plus yards. Yep. He, the dude can just skate. Um, and, and so, I again, comes back to the offensive line, right? But I, I think he, you know, 180 something rushes in non-garbage time last year, 186. Mm-hmm. And he, he showed that he can kind of take the load. He wasn't just a third down back. That was only about... Um, 15% of his usage. So they weren't just, you know, picking up easy wins. He was running on early downs and he was still breaking off these big runs. And so he's a weapon with a high ceiling. Again, that all rests on the offensive line, right? It does. Um, and West Virginia's offensive line, we'll just go ahead and transition. After I point out that West Virginia has a running back named Avarius Sparrow, which is kick ass. Uh, I think he transferred. Didn't we look at, we talked oh, about cool names the other day. Comment. Okay. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, I'm having deja vu. I don't think he did. Any, well, I'll, let me look at the roster. Anyway. Uh, Maybe there's another Averius in the big toilet. <laughs> they might be. Averius Sparrow is still on the roster. Thank God. Okay, also yeah. built Ooh. like a brick outhouse. 5'9", 196. 5'9", 196. That's me. Who are you talking to? Yeah, yeah uh, dang. And you, yeah. Uh, but yes. I'm not 196. <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I, brother. Uh, West Virginia's offensive line. Not good, Parker. We talked about their struggles in the passing game. We talked about the fact that they can't stop the common cold, but... You know, they're returning their second best lineman, James, going to mispronounce it, Gimiter? Gimiter? Gimiter I, I, I was going to go with Gimiter, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm trying to go because, like, Mike Gaminsky, the uh, former Duke player, uh, college basketball guy, uh, pronounces it uh, that way. Anyway, um, so they return him. That's great. But I don't necessarily see another reliable player on that O-line. They were a little bit last year, just kind of a mess on the offensive line. I think at one point they had started three or four true freshmen. They had no business kind of starting there. Um, they, 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 again, like we said, they just let a lot of pressure up. Um, if you're looking at like 
you know, pass blocking grades. Nobody was higher than, than a 70. Uh, Gimiter was their, their best one, you know, 76.1 for whatever pass blocking grades, you know, are, but you had guys, um, like Zach Frazier played a bunch and 368 snaps and he had 59, uh, a grade of 59, um, at tackle, Brias and Mays filled in 47.7. He had 192 snaps. Uh, Parker Moore, I'm piling on a guy here, sorry, but like 46.1 and he played 65. Just filling in, there was injuries, there was problems. They didn't have an offensive line settled. Um, and so that's definitely something that's going to have to be fixed this year. It looks like their lineup is going to be um, Yates, Gimiter, uh, for left and right. Yates, Gimiter, Frazier in the center, uh, Parker Moore is going to play tackle. I almost would throw his stuff out last year just because I don't think he was expecting to play. The really interesting piece here is that transfer from from West Virginia, uh, excuse me, from Virginia Tech. He has gone west, some might say. Uh, Doug Nestor, um, really experienced, uh, about 1.3 mm-hmm. years of experience. He's 6'6", 320, and he's going to slot in on the right side there, either at guard or tackle, and be kind of a really stout anchor for a unit that is that is very in flux. Yeah, it's one of the few transfers that have actually benefited West Virginia uh, during the offseason, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he was a true freshman. He started, um, like, well, he started 10 games as a true freshman. Started a total of 16 during his time in Blacksburg. Um, he's going to compete with Gimiter off the rip to be the best guy on that line. He's also the biggest. He's 6'6", 320, and yeah. no one else is over 306, so, or 308. So, got that going for him. I, I just, I, I, right. I wonder, too, like, how much how much these guys can improve in an off season. Um, be, be, and, and listen, we've said the same thing about TCU. How much can you improve yeah. in an off season? How much do you project people to develop? Well, I mean, I, it was a and I think that he, you know, it, it just, okay. I was looking, I went on a little rabbit trail there. Um, Duke uh, edge rusher, Victor Dumukeje, maybe uh, was drafted by the Cardinals. Um, and that was, that was Nestor's sure. worst game by far last year. Like the only time he had a bad grade pass blocking again, whatever pass blocking is for, uh, or whatever pass blocking grades are for, um, he, he got smoked. And so I wonder if that's not correlated. Um, there's some other good, you know, good players on the, on the field that he played against like Quincy Rose from, from Miami and stuff. So maybe that's not, uh, the, uh, you know, exactly causal there, but it was at least interesting. I think he will come in. And the thing, Grant, about offensive line talent is it's multiplicative, right? It's not A plus B, it's A times B. Um, and so I think him coming in and kind of anchoring the center with, you know, um, excuse me, anchoring the interior offensive line with a center who is um, not going to be bad as he was last year, right? I think that's fair to say for Zach Frazier. Um, yep. And, you know, you have a guy like Yates yeah. who's pretty experienced and is okay. And so I, I think there is kind of a rising tide lifts all boats potential if they can kind of get their 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 offseason right and if if things click. So again, everything we talk about this year is if the offensive light's right, if the quarterback's right. West Virginia has uh, kind of a limited ceiling on skill talent at wide receiver. They have an excellent running back. Quarterback and offensive line are going to kind of be mu- like mutually dependent, interdependent on each other. And the rest of that's just going to circle around on offense. And so it'll be interesting to see what a little bit of experience on offensive line does for sure. a running back who kind of, you know, sneakily broke out last year and, and whether I, I'm surprised they didn't get a transfer quarterback 
but I think that Daigie can be the guy um, if all this context kind of kind of lands well. My biggest question mark is, you know, of course the offensive line, but then if the offensive line works out, are the wide receivers good enough to really kind of create space and, and, and challenge in the Big 12 for them to score enough? I agree, and, and you've made a great natural transition to pivot into the defense, but I want to make one more point about the offensive line. Uh, I don't think it's a coaching issue. Um, Matt Moore has been with Neil Brown since Troy. He's coached a lot of really good linemen. Um, Colton McKivitz at West Virginia. Um, Troy always had a really mean offensive line. I, I think it's just they were kind of starting over. And I think they had a lot of guys that were new to the position, new to the program, and it was just a bad year. I don't know if the talent is there. I'm not a talent evaluator, but I, I don't think it's a coaching issue. Yeah, oh, I think it's fair to say that 5-7 and seven in 2019 with the mess that Holgerson left – is impressive. Um, and their schedule is going to be rough in the non-con and those numbers are, are going to be, they're, they're going to yeah. be rough. Um, it, it is, it is interesting though, kind of as we transition to defense, Neil Brown's defenses have always been better than his offenses. He's an offensive guy. He runs an interesting offense. They do some interesting stuff. They do some pistols some jet sweep, all, all sorts of fun stuff. Some, some really nice, easy RPOs. Um, but yeah, the, the defense has always been better. The defense last year was excellent. I might, uh, I might say 31st overall in EPA, uh, 42nd against the rush and 44th against the pass. So um, a, re- a really solid unit. Uh, generally, they didn't allow. They allowed more than 30 points just twice last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were 21st in the country in points per yeah, game, which is, I mean, uh, they a- proofs in the pudding. there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they averaged more than an interception a game. Um, they were in pretty much every game largely due to their defense because the offense was so anemic except for Iowa well, State. even that Iowa State game if the offense had just scored it would have been a shootout the offense could they the defense yeah. played a shootout the offense just couldn't <laughs> right. yeah they were they, they didn't get the memo yeah. that it was supposed to be a, a, a 10-6 game I mean they gave it 26 first downs and six touchdowns uh they have a really interesting mix of guys that they lost guys that they return and guys that they bring in so you lose your best cover. They lose two people to Georgia, or excuse, excuse me, two people to transfers. One to Georgia. That's Tyke Smith, uh, who's a safety and probably the best player on the defense. Certainly yeah. the best player. Was he, in the he was he all Big Twelve, or he was either a freshman defensive freshman of the year. He was he was some kind of conference award that I should have looked up, but yes, um, but we didn't. So what's the point? Uh, Sean Mahone, another safety, was very good, and corner uh, Dreshawn Miller went to Auburn. And they lose Darius Stills, one half of the Stills brother tandem uh, at defensive line. They do return Dante Stills, who we talked about guys and dudes. Dante Stills is a dude. Absolutely. Especially when it comes to run. And stopping. he was, I mean, a if, man's if a I don't have freak. this mistaken, he was recovered uh, or he was recruited. They, they recruited his older brother. They're recruiting him to get his brother or something like they, that. Like they he, recruited he, the he, older he, one to get the younger one. Powders. And the older one turned yeah. out to be pretty good. But the younger one is absolutely like the stud. Yeah, exactly. Um, Alonzo Adai is back. He's a really hard-hitting safety. Uh, maybe one of my favorite names in the conference, Nick Troy Fortune. It's a really good one. In the corner. That's a really That's good a really one. really good yeah. one. Uh, he's, he's a good coverage guy. And they bring in another good... God, man, their secondary is... Like I said, they lost Smith, they lost Miller, but they bring in Charles Woods from Illinois State. Uh, really good cornerback. I'm excited to see what he does in that defense. He's going to kind of have to play immediately uh, and kind of make the jump from Illinois State football to... The last year of the Big 12, I suppose, but uh, they're covering some gaps, and I, I think they're going to be solid again on defense. Yeah, I, I really think so. I mean, obviously, the, the you can't talk about this without talking about, you know, they, they're going to lose. They lost uh, Tony Fields to the draft. 
um, yep. and they lost Tyke Smith. That right there is uh, almost a third of their tackles last year and um, almost a third of their their stops. Um, and, and so those are two really disruptive guys. Um, I don't love individual EPA, but I'm playing around with it, so I'll say it. Tony Fields was responsible for negative 13 individual EPA, and uh, Tyke Smith was responsible for, for uh, four he gives them big passes. He's still really good. Um, and, and, and so in general, those two guys are, are, you know, about a touchdown in value, two, two touchdowns in value that you lost, um, right off the bat. And so that is, is a little worrisome because again, you start to talk about what matters in the big 12 and defending the pass and, 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 uh, being able to pass. And we have question marks about their passing ability on offense. I'm a little worried. Um, just you, you lose two guys from a big unit there, but I do think that they aren't, uh, aren't worried about turnover as much because they've been able to you know bring in woods and kind of patch those holes to some extent and they still have maybe the most disruptive um interior linemen in in the conference yeah they have a you know if you can't stop the pass on the back end you can try to stop it up front and they do return their leading or their sack leader from last year uh akeem mesador uh had five sacks last year uh 17 hurries and a hit or sorry, seven hurries and a hit. Seventeen would have been impressive. I think they, his pressure rate is stupid too. I'm having like flashbacks now because I prepped for this podcast, but then I remember this game was a little bit later in the season, so it's still kind of fresh in my mind. I'm pretty sure at one point, uh, Adi had like insane, or Akeem Mesador. Yeah, he had 13 pressures on yep 105 pass rush snaps. So yeah, it's pretty that's good. Pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, it's uh, so. There are pieces to this defense. Um, they do have a first-year defensive coordinator in Jordan Leslie, but he's been on Brown's staff for the last six years. Like he knows the system, he knows the Brown wants, even though Brown is an offensive guy. Um, I don't know, man. I I think you're just going to be solid again. I don't know if they'll be quite as good as they were last year, just because the talent they did lose. But I think they're still going to keep the Mountaineers in a lot of games. Yeah, I I think that they. Um... Last year benefited from, again, two really disruptive uh, interior linemen. The um, emergence of Mesador as a, as a rushing threat on the outside. And then Smith and Fields being just absolute lockdown, coupled with everyone else not having an offseason. I think, I think yep. rumors of Big 12 offensive demise are, are greatly overstated. Um, and a lot of that was just they just... Defense is a lot easier to play without without practicing as much as the offense. You know, you're going to see the differences there. So I think they absolutely capitalized on it. I think they would gladly trade off a little bit of offense for a little bit of, of, of defense this year, um, for yeah. sure. Don't tell Gary that, by the way. Um, Man. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk about schedule? I do, I do want to talk about the schedule. Yeah, I, I, West Virginia's defense isn't like very interesting to me other than they just like do it well. You know, they play a little bit of tight front. They play a little four down, three down um, and they're, they're very versatile, but it's not like, you know, everyone says, oh, you know, Gary Patterson runs a four, two, five that emphasizes, you know, matching and Matt Campbell runs a three, three, five that he stole from a bunch of people, but it's still interesting. And so I, uh, West Virginia's defense isn't like this innovative scheme thing. They just, no, they're execute. just good. Yeah, they just execute yeah, really well. they really do. And, and and honestly, there's something to be said for that. Right. I mean, just uh, it, that that almost has more value than innovation. I think execution, if you can preach it, lasts longer. If you can still at least get guys that know how to execute. Um, that's a whole philosophical discussion that we don't need to go through, but I do think it's <laughs> worth having at some point. It, write it down for next offseason. We'll go through yeah. that. Um, Parker, why did West Virginia 
make the mistake that Texas made and schedule Maryland? Well, they scheduled Maryland that should be good. So I think on net, it actually works out for them. But um, yeah, you're probably right. Well, this is kind of, I mean, they, they want to be in the Northeast. They want to be Atlantic Coast. They want to be Chesapeake Bay. They want to be out that way. I mean, they are out that way. And so Maryland is one of these, you know, they scheduled that are, um, those are games no, they wish they were playing in conference. As the, probably a top five TikTok of all time goes, <laughs> the song's not about West Virginia. It's about the <laughs> Western part of Virginia. And I think that's where the Mountaineers want to be. Uh, um, I want to find that guy and have him on the podcast. That was really funny. I, dude, I, we'll give him a full hour. We we won't talk. No, I just let him. Um, just let him ride, man. Yeah, especially in whatever state he was in during that. That game was on ESPN. On ESPN, September 4th, Tell me that's on Friday night. Oh, it's a Saturday. No, Saturday, Saturday the fourth, three thirty. That's right during TCU. Yeah, that will be interesting. Uh, do you have it as a win or a loss? Uh. I think that they will probably, oh gosh, I actually think they might lose that game. West Virginia is going to get somebody this year. And I don't think beating, excuse me, Maryland. And I don't think, I don't think. Maryland's bad. No, their offense is good though. Their offense was, it it is explosive as hell. It wasn't very successful, but it was explosive as hell. Um, and so I would worry, hey, you have offensive struggles, you have some defensive turnover. Oh, shoot, Maryland got a couple cheap TDs because they bring back a lot and they have an experienced quarterback who's good. Hey, you're in a hole. I think they'll probably win that, um, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if that was a loss. And that wouldn't be a failure of, of West Virginia if that was a loss because I think Maryland's going to be better than they have been. Is, it, this is good. This is the dumbest question I'll ask on podcast. Is Pilgrim still the quarterback at Maryland? No, it's little, it's little Tua. Uh, it's oh Talia. God, that's right. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I have it as a win for West Virginia, but I, I, I'm with you. I in the in the spirit of the podcast that we have been doing for all these previews, it sure. should be a win. It absolutely should. Um, September 11th, they play the Long Island Sharks uh, in Morgantown. That should be a win. Yep. Um, by the way, I'm looking up. Let's let's play a, a quick fun game here. What do you think ticket prices are for West Virginia against Long Island? I assume they give you $5 and a PBR to show up. <laughs> Something like that. Purchase by price. I'm looking for low. $50. The lowest you can find on the website is $50. That's ridiculous. Um, then they play Virginia Tech at home. West Virginia's at home. Yeah. That's a loss. I, they're 2-1 they're and one in the first three, however you cut yeah. it. West Virginia got a transfer quarterback? Herndon Hooker transferred to Tennessee. Virginia Tech got a transfer That's what I meant. Uh, Virginia Tech. Yeah. I think Virginia Tech has a has a um, transfer quarterback. So I think it's actually, I think I'm revising and saying they'll start the season two and one. I think they'll beat Virginia Tech and lose to Maryland. Um, because Ooh, interesting. I think that Virginia Tech is in a similar boat of we don't have a good offense and our defense is pretty okay. I think that West Virginia is more talented than them and they'll be able to beat them. I think West Virginia is more talented than Maryland, but it fits poorly because Maryland's so explosive and West Virginia has some turnover on defense. So I think the Maryland game gets away from them on the road. I think they beat Virginia Tech at home. Is this the game that gets Fuente fired? No, because they'll be, they'll be, I mean, if they lose Maryland and Virginia Tech. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Like Fuente, like if Virginia Tech loses to West Virginia. Oh, yeah. I'd have to, I'd have to look at their schedule. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. Off the top of that, like I, I think if they lose that game, 
I mean, I don't think he survives next year anyway, but I can I say something might, cryptic? Like, just not let him back on the bus. If you sure. are a TCU fan, you want Virginia Tech to be in the seven to nine wins every year. You want it to be warm but yeah. not hot, uh, and and not yeah. not not attractive. Um, you got to root yeah. for mediocrity there, like sustainable mediocrity, because otherwise, uh, twenty twenty four is. Close. What's um, that thing about a pale rider? Yeah, what you said last week. That's yeah, and that's. And I looked and behold, a pale horse. And it's saying that it set on it was death, and hell followed. I can't emotionally. Let's refocus on the schedule. I can't emotionally talk okay, about that. Speaking right now. of speaking of hell following, they follow Virginia Tech with Oklahoma and Norman, so we could chalk that up as a loss. Can I can I just hop in about realignment for a second? Oklahoma's going to beat everyone by seventy this year, right? Like they're never oh, taking the starters out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be close. Uh, so two and two, they host Tech. Win. Think so. I think if that was in uh, Lubbock, I would say loss. Okay, I'll join you on that train. So three and two at Baylor. I'm gonna say loss, dude. I don't know. I don't either. My my, I think I'm with. I think if this was in Morgantown, I would say win. But I'm just if I win. say loss here, I'm just looking at bigger trends. I'm just they're gonna lose every game on the road. They. Oh, Except yeah. Kansas. I mean, it's nice that you get Iowa State and Texas and Oklahoma State at home. Like, that breaks pretty well. But they're going to lose those games. Well, they're going to lose some of them. But, I mean, they go to TCU, to Kansas State, and then Kansas, they might be real bad on the road. That's probably a storyline to circle and remember later. Like, yeah. is West Virginia <laughs> going to be able to do anything on the road? Because they, right. that just breaks really poorly. I think that Baylor game is supremely losable. Um yeah, that's that's rough. They do have a buy after we afterwards right into TCU, and so that yeah. that's kind of nice. But I, I still don't know that they'll win a game on the road. Besides Kansas, yeah, right. So, so are, are you calling this a loss? I think I'm calling Baylor a loss. It's okay, close. Same. I don't know so, that I like it, yeah. but I think I projected Baylor to lose that game the other way. We're, we're I'm not consistent. Yeah, don't but, keep track of these. We're just none, none of these podcasts are consistent with the other. Uh, so three and three going into the buy, and they play TCU on the road. Loss. I'm assuming. Well, it should have been a loss the last two years. Well, I know. Does Gary Patterson have a Neil Brown problem? <laughs> God. Hold on. I, I'm pulling up the Winsipedia. I mean, he's... Op- a valuable resource. It's com- completely free plug. I think he was... Winsipedia.com is the best website of all I think time. he was using... Uh, whoa, whoa, CFB-graphs.com is the best website oh, of all well, time. So, but Winsipedia yeah, is of, nice, and too. Outside of purpletheory.substack.com. Uh, West Virginia's won the last three games against TCU. Yeah, they won 2019. No, 2018 was Holgerson's last year. That was in Morgantown. That That was an ass kicking. It was. It was 47 to 10. And then. We beat him in 2017, 31 to 24. I say we because that was. You were there. Yeah, yeah, I I was actually. I played um, uh, punt coverage. Uh, 2016, uh, West Virginia won. Of course, uh, TCU beat him on that field goal in 2014. 2015 was a blowout, and then they won. Uh, West Virginia won in 2013. Anyway, that was a digression we didn't need to take. Um, 2017 was ranked game day in Fort Worth. I was there for that. Yeah, that was too. fun. Very fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, dude, uh, I'll, we're way deep in this, but the human crush, at the, I guess I was in the commons before game day, like the night before. Oh, yeah. And I was legitimately worried I was going to die. Because there's a human crush where, like, they thought they were opening the gates, so everyone moved to the top of the commons. Oh, yeah. But the gate was not open. So it, it was legitimately scary. 
Um, okay, three and or no, yeah, three and four going or home to host Iowa State. I think I have them at four and three. No, I have them three and four. I'm counting that backwards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hosting Iowa four. State. They're probably going to lose that game. Yeah. Yeah. Three and five hosting Oklahoma State. I want to say that this is the most likely win. Didn't they win this game last year? Uh, I, um, Why are we like this? See. No, they lost 13 to seven, or 13 to 27. Mm, that was early on too. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking last year to see, Ooh, that Texas tech is spicy. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm actually going to say they lose to Oklahoma state. Uh, I think they, they're going to beat Oklahoma state and lose to Texas. I think that's Oklahoma state's dumb win. Uh, West Virginia's dumb win. West Oklahoma Virginia's state's dumb win. Excuse me. That's the one where okay. you're like, dude, what in the world? What are we doing? Yeah, but they're, yeah. they're going to win that game. Okay, I have it as a loss, so I, I have them at three. Morgantown's weird. Um, Morgantown is weird. Go to Kansas State, probably a loss. Yeah, I think I'm sticking with they're just going to be bad on the road. Um, yeah, I'm three and six, you're four and five. Hosting Texas, three, I, I've lost, so three and seven. Do you think, well, I guess we we'll, we'll, we talked about Texas. I just don't know what I expect them to be, but it should be humming. I think they lose that game. Man, that turns into yeah. so for me that and turns Kansas into four and, four and five and two down the stretch or two and five down the stretch. That's rough. Yeah, I, I guess yeah, I guess I, I got off of my counting, but I have them at four and eight. Four and eight. And okay, five and, and I have five and seven because I have one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so I have LIU, one of Maryland, Virginia Tech, one of Texas Tech, Baylor, one of Te- Oklahoma State and Texas, and then Kansas. Yeah, so that's five. Yeah, and I just had them losing both Oklahoma State and Texas. So last year, Grant's Wolf, they were zero and two on the road, zero and three on the road, zero and four on the road. Uh, yeah, okay, that's a thing. They didn't win a road game last year. That is a real thing. It's not good. It's not what you want. Um, yeah, so so I think that I think that trend holds. I think they lose all of their road games except Kansas, um, and then you know split four and four on the rest of them, and so that 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 puts you at five and five and seven right there. Um, I will say I don't think that means that Neil Brown is on the hot seat. No, it does suck. What is there? We should have talked yeah. about recruiting. I, I, I had filed a way to do that, um, but I wonder about their quarterback pipeline. We don't have to go Google because it's obvious we'll like Google it right now. We can look that up and keep it like maybe that's a, a longer picture thing of like, man, if West Virginia goes five and seven, they better have a quarterback in the pipe. Yeah, no shit. Uh, oh, sorry. Can I say that? Uh, I can't remember what is. I don't know. I, I never. Explicit tag. What is it? I, um, didn't have any this year, uh, though they were fourth in the conference in recruiting. Um, they have a four star next year. Nico Martial are you, from Chandler, Arizona. Are you hoping that he uh, starts? Yeah, yeah, I think you have to yeah. if you're Neil Brown. I mean, just say, hey, if there was anyone else that. viable, they would be starting over Daigie. Yeah, with, I th- yeah I, but yeah, you got to hope he comes in and starts as a freshman. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I've talked myself out of West Virginia a little bit. <laughs> just faced with the grim reality of man, you are not you you. You're very bad on the road, and many of your easy wins, like quote-unquote easy wins, like plausible wins, like Baylor, Kansas State, maybe even TCU are on the road. Um, So that's actually a really bad break for this team this year because 7-5 and is a feel-good story, and 5-7 and is like, man, I cannot believe we screwed around with Jared Daigie this long. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't think it's going to be a fun season in Morgantown. I, I, I think it's just going to be kind of dismal and just kind of blah. If they steal one, if, if they beat Texas in Texas last year in the Big 12, that is like, that, that that's their achievement. Yeah. It's like, hey, screw you. Well, it, it has another year. I just yawned. Sorry. Um, I'm on mountain time, too. It's like only 8 o'clock. Uh, Diggy has another year of eligibility. Is that good or bad? I'm just saying if you what if what if so right now I have them one and two losing at Kansas State, losing at Texas or losing to Texas at home and beating Kansas. What if they lose Oklahoma State and then they upset Kansas State and they go three and to end the season and beat Kansas by a thousand, like actually a thousand. Yeah. Go to the first responder bowl, catch ball state on a bad day. Boom. Seven and six. You've won four straight games. You beat Texas. I, they're really young. Um, Can I tell you, I, th- I think that's like best case right. scenario. I think that's kind of what I was that's talking myself problem. into. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, best case, we've talked about, I think Baylor's best case scenario was eight wins. And Baylor's not going to be good. Yeah. You know, West Virginia's best case scenario was seven and six because they beat Ball State in the first responders bowl. I just can't find eight wins here. Yeah, man. I can't I can't find seven, man. I, yeah. That's do you want to play the alumni? That ended really sadly. Um well let's do okay, so let's do how crazy is it okay. if they're in the Big Twelve championship this fall? What it what is, percent crazy? It is ninety percent crazy. I might even go higher. I might even say ninety five. Yeah, so many things crazy. outside of West Virginia's <laughs> control would have to go wrong for them to be there. I just it, yeah. Oh you and Texas would have to leave before the season started. <laughs> Do not think that West Virginia is competing for the Big Twelve championship this year. Of course I say that out loud and they will beat TCU in a thirteen to two grueling game that will cause me to pull out my hair and perhaps uh, whip my back with a with a with a whip and try and pen uh, you know, create penance for my sons. It it will be the end of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> If West Virginia beats TCU 13-2 to in Fort Worth, a game at which I will be in attendance, um, I will quit this podcast. <laughs> we both will. That is a promise. That is a Purple Theory promise. Um, yeah, so I think it's real crazy. When is the first year you think Neil Brown can win? Will, 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 what is the earliest year Neil Brown could be in the Big 12 championship? Not win it, just could be in there. Oh, 2023. 23 means Daggy's last year. Okay. The kid redshirted. He's good. Everyone's grown up. Yeah. 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 I, I think if that kid turns out to be a guy, like, yeah, the real deal. And, and like you said, people will grow. I mean, their line is really young. Uh, maybe they get a couple more transfers. Defense continues to hold and wide receivers develop. Yeah. Especially with so much talent kind of up there that leaves the area. West Virginia is plausibly northeast. Like, hey, anyone who wants to come back home can kind of come out this way. Um, So they could do on the transfer market. Yeah, 23, maybe 24. 23 feels very early for where I feel like they are. Yeah, it's super early. I mean, but that's like the the most plausible earliest. You you did say they were fourth. Everything breaks right. You did say they were fourth in recruiting in the conference? Uh, for 2021. For 21. So maybe, yeah, maybe they they strike big and and can Uh, bolster the defense. Yeah. Can I say something depressing? Why are we asking this question? The Big 12 is not going to exist. Well, I, you know, I'm kind of fiddling on the roof while, uh, not fiddling on the roof. That's a different thing. I'm kind of fiddling You're while, fiddling while burns. Burns. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't care. Um, 
Because Grant, if we let ESPN dictate what we talk about and think about and enjoy, then we get what ESPN dictates. You know what the worst part of this is? I grew up wanting to work for ESPN, and I I defended ESPN against a lot of people like, oh, ESPN's destroying journalism, whatever. It's like, no, they're responding to like trends in the market, responding to what people actually watch. But now they're actually doing bad things. Yes, well, and they're responding to trends of people who are colossal idiots um and saying well, we're gonna give the we're gonna give them the slop that they want instead of showing them that there's a better way which is why grant we started purple theory pond <laughs> <laughs> to compete with espn we started oh my purple gosh i will burn utica to the ground uh, <laughs> okay west virginia alumni uh our favorite bit if you're still listening here shout out what's up uh honestly grant do you want to tell them what our special thing is tomorrow if you've made it this far Everyone listens. Oh, do we get to tell them? No, we're not. Not even. We're not even going to tell them. Oh, okay. We are at an hour and fourteen. We, All right. You just said we were. Well, I lied. I changed my mind in okay. the middle of the thing. Yeah, we're not going to tell them. It's West so much Virginia more fun alumni. Okay, I, I'm going to the bottom of the list because you're at the top of the list. I assume. Okay, the bottom three are wild. I've already checked. There's two in there that are just amazing. Um, Billy Mays. Oh. Billy Mays here for OxyClean. I dressed as Billy Mays for Halloween one year. Shout out and RIP. Um, yes. It's confusing to scroll from the bottom because you can't see. Little Jimmy yeah. Dickens, uh, West Virginia. <laughs> okay, who the hell is Little Jimmy? Little Jimmy Dickens? He's like a country music guy. You'd know a song of okay. his. If I could think uh, about it. Cheryl Hines from Curb Your Enthusiasm, who played uh, Larry David's wife, attended but did not graduate. Okay. Well, it counts. We gave Willie Nelson to Baylor, so... That's true. Don Knotts. Don Knotts like the comedian Don Knotts? Yeah. Okay, I should have started at the top. This is very boring coming up from the bottom. No, um, you you missed the two. No, okay. I didn't miss them. I let you have them because you found them first. Okay, we'll, we'll get to them at the end. Um, uh, Antoine Fuqua, uh, Fuqua, who directed Training Day and Shooter. Oh, I like Training two Day. Of my favorite I Training Day. Yeah, day. Shooter is one of the greatest like TV. It, it wasn't a made-for-TV movie. But if it's on, I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a Saturday afternoon TNT movie. It absolutely is. Um, yeah, I don't know any of these other people. David Selby sounds David. familiar. Oh, yeah, I know who David Selby is. No, I don't. It's a different guy. No, I, yeah. Who the hell <laughs> is David Selby? No idea who he is. No clue. Um, okay, so there's one interesting at the bottom. Who do you have? There's, uh, well, first off, we should mention Katherine Johnson, who uh, was a NASA uh, employee, uh, Hidden Figures, mostly based around her. Oh, cool. Um is that Jackbox mom? So, if you heard that meme about the, never mind, that's a different thing. Yeah, no, I had no, I had it's not her, but I know what meme you're talking about. <laughs> um, okay, there's a section called other notable alumni. It starts with Cynthia Germanata, who is Lady Gaga's mom. Interesting. It goes to Mel Ann Pennington, who was 1984 Miss West Virginia. Good for her. And then the last entry is Patsy Ramsey, mother of John. No. <laughs> Why is that and on also, here? And also Miss West Virginia in 1970. She was also Miss West Virginia. That's terrible. <laughs> That's tragic. Um, I love not, the. I love. Not, I'm seeing this now. The Cynthia Cynthia Germanata one says philanthropist, uh-huh. co-founder of Born This Way, also Lady Gaga's mother. Like she's known for the <laughs> other things, not not being lady. Like that's just intentional. Can you guess who the other co-founder of Born This Way was? <laughs> Whatever Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Is. I don't know yeah. if you figured that out or not. <laughs> Uh, there's also an author named Anne Pancake. Anne Cake. Which I, I hope her friends call her Anne Cake. Anne Pancake. Oh, I man. Uh, 
this is a weird bit and I like it. Um, I'm glad that we're doing it in the off season and not during the season. <laughs> we, we, we did, you did it once for Baylor because there are a lot of like funny alumni and then I've forced you to do yes, it for every ba- single the Baylor one was hilarious. I'm going to continue to do that. The, the, I'm going to continue to do that Because the Baylor the page was, was not Baylor alumni. It was notable Baylor people. You're right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, of, of and pertaining to uh, Baylor. Um, yeah, okay, so this has been the Pro Bowl Theory Podcast, the West Virginia edition. Golly, I hope we don't have to talk about realignment next week. Um, but we'll talk about realignment tomorrow. Make sure you're subscribed. There will be we'll, – we'll drop something in the feed for you tomorrow night, uh, maybe early Friday morning, depending on life. But, um, yeah, I got, got, a, got a really good one for you tomorrow. And uh, other than that, man, season's creeping up on us. Um, we're – you know, less than, less than 40 days. We're in the thirties now it's, it's coming up. And so we're excited to get back to it. Um, we are going to keep, uh, doing these previews. We might have to double tap cause it's, it's getting a little closer than I thought, but uh-huh. yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at stats. check out CFB graphs, CFB dash graphs.com for all your uh, advanced stats needs. I'm ramping that up as the season gets here. Um, and follow grant on Twitter at grant McGalliard spelled like it sounds. Other than that, we'll be, uh, We'll be here. We'll be here tomorrow, and then we'll be here next week. Go frogs! Go frogs! <laughs>